Hello, hello. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome back, once again, to the Non-Believer Bible Club. The only podcast where you can hear someone react in real time to all the crazy shit that's in the Bible. There's a lot that I've learned about history, Jewish mysticism, Christianity, Christian mysticism, all brought on by reading the Bible for the first time and taking it real slow. I'd even go as far as to say that I may know more about certain topics than your average preacher, while at the same time, I don't know a single thing about the book of Samuel coming up this episode. But before we get there, let's talk about the book of Ruth. I started and finished the four-chapter book of Ruth on last week's episode, and as I do with each book that I finish in the King James Holy Bible, it's time to talk about whether or not I am a believer. In a segment I like to call, Is the non-believer a believer yet? No, no, not really. It's been four chapters. Well, with that out of the way, I did some research on the book of Ruth. So before we get to Samuel, let's talk about some interesting facts I found out about the book of Ruth. Firstly, Ruth comes from the Hebrew word, Ruth. All right, thanks for listening to the Non-Believer Bible Club. Just kidding. The word Ruth may be a contraction of Reuth, meaning companion, friend, fellow woman. Which accurately describes Ruth. In the story, in the story, a woman named Naomi has two sons and a husband, and all of them die. She's left with the two widowed wives of her dead sons, Ruth and Orpah. They have a tearful goodbye but Orpah leaves to find a new husband. You know who won't leave to find a new husband? Ruth, Naomi's companion, friend, and fellow woman. That's cool. Next, the genealogy at the end of the book of Ruth, where it says, now these are the generations, was likely added in the post-exilic period. Israel was conquered by the Babylonians and exiled from their country back to Babylon. Scholars point to parts in the Bible that were written during and after this period. There's a tendency towards strong reform because, ugh, we just got exiled to Babylon. Let's come up with a list of things we did wrong to explain it. This also results in parts of the literature where things are added to tell a certain story. One theory says aspects of Deuteronomy, with all of its law codes and curses, are sprinkled throughout the histories. Some writer redactor's way of saying, the rules in Deuteronomy show that this is why Israel fell. So a post-exilic genealogy would do many things. It shows the validity of the Jewish line leading to David, one of their greatest kings. Or maybe it was written during the time of King David, at least 500 years before the exile. But we don't really know because we don't even know who wrote the book of Ruth. Tradition states that Ruth was written by Samuel, a prophet I know nothing about, whose book we begin today. But there's no evidence. It could have been written by a scholar in the post-exilic period, not to highlight to David, but to counter Nehemiah's order in that time, not to take foreign wives. Ruth is a Moabite, and the fact that David comes from that foreign lineage would have been a big deal. But the book of Ruth is also a woman's story about women's issues. Naomi's husband and two sons dying, leaving her with Ruth and Orpah, is a crazy circumstance, but not improbable. What are women to do in a society? when male representation is your ticket to exist. 
Scholars present the option that the author was someone concerned with these circumstances because maybe she was a woman. Others take this a step further and suggest that Ruth doesn't abandon Naomi to find a new husband, not out of loyalty, but out of love. Oh yeah, that kind of love. The third lesbian conference held in Israel in 2004 had t-shirts with Ruth's words, where you go, I go. Interestingly, chapter 1 verse 14 uses the word cleave when it says, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Just as Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So the age-old question, are they gay? I don't know, probably not. At the least, the evocative word cleave represents a closeness of a woman to a husband. Because Ruth is widowed, Naomi becomes her stand-in husband as she devises a way to find a man for Ruth, which she does and counsels her the whole time, giving Ruth sisterly dating advice. Doesn't sound very gay to me, but this is all in good fun, just as it is and can only be speculation. In the end, the Book of Ruth teaches that loyalty, hard work, and kindness are tools to get you through any dark time. Ruth stands by Naomi, and then she gets a job to support Naomi. It just so happens that her boss is related to Naomi. What are the chances? And because of Ruth's hard work and Naomi's good advice, Naomi ends up married to this man, Boaz, by the end of the book. Honestly, the book of Ruth might have been written by a woman. Two women plot to get one of them hitched and she sneaks into the guy's bedroom, but instead of having sex, they talk all night about another guy. High on romantic intrigue, low on carnal revels. Very Jane Austen to me. But I digress. Loyalty, hard work, and kindness. Good traits to have for any men in this book. You know what's next. The Book of Samuel. I'm very excited because I literally have no idea what is in this thing. I don't know who Samuel is. I don't know what he has to talk about. So join with me as we begin the Book of Samuel. The First Book of Samuel, Chapter 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. So you can tell I've been reading this because I can pronounce all this shit first try. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penanna. Penina. Well, there I go. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Sad. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh, the Lord of hosts being another name for Yahweh, the God of Israel. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? 
and why eatest thou not, and why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up, after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. And she vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. So he'll swear the Nazarite vow, like Samson. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. It's probably Eli. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. <laughs> and Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat and her countenance was no more sad. Good. And they rose up in the morning early, and worshipped before the Lord, and returned, and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife. You know what that means. And the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about after, Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son, and called his name Samuel saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Which is probably to say Samuel means I have asked the Lord. These names are called theophoric when they contain a part of a name for God within the name. In this instance, E-L, L, like Daniel, or Samuel, or Michael. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord, and there abide forever. And Elkanah her husband said unto her, Whoa, 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 whoa. Did we both agree to this? Just kidding. Do what seemeth thee good. Tarry until thou have weaned him. Only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode, and gave her son suck until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with three bullocks, and one ephah flour, and a bottle of wine, and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock, and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, also, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. 
All right, great start. And actually, there's a lot to unpack. So first, some parallels in the text. Hannah is beloved by her husband, but she cannot conceive. Much like Rachel, most beloved by Jacob over her sister and co-wife, Leah, in Genesis. Also Sarah and her handmaiden Hagar, who gave Abraham Ishmael, because Sarah couldn't conceive, until her prayer is answered by God. Hannah's adversary, who makes her cry and not want to eat, is indeed her husband's other wife, Peninnah. So the lesson, God will answer if you ask, and polygamy bad. The tabernacle, the mobile, going-on-the-road tour temple of the Israelites, has been for the most part located in Shiloh since Joshua. Now it's run by Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, the high priest. He is actually a judge of Israel, succeeding Samson after his death. Also, the term, the Lord of hosts, in the Sefer Yetzirah, is described as a phrase which refers to revelation. Quote, the state in which God associates himself with beings that are lower than himself. In its old meaning, host refers to an army. So God, as he is commander of his angels and the stars, which are described as his hosts. This is actually the first appearance of the term Lord of hosts in the Hebrew Bible. The only thing I know about Samuel is that he's a prophet, because I read something that said, the prophet Samuel. So, God, with a title reflecting sovereignty in the mainstream and revelation in the mysticism, checks out for Samuel. And lastly, Samuel comes from a contraction of, I'm probably butchering it, She'eh Yotiv Me'el. I have asked him of the Lord. But it could also mean the name of God, if it's related to the word Shem, meaning name, and El, meaning God, bringing to mind for me the rabbi Baal Shem Tov, the Lord of the good name. Anyway, chapter 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies. <laughs> Fucking Penina! Because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. By the way, the subtitle under this is Hannah's Song of Thankfulness. So, you know, she's spitting right now. The bows of the mighty men are broken. And they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased, so that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. Fucking banana! The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes, and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. Haven't heard pillars of the earth, that's sick. That sounds badass. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength shall no man prevail." bringing to mind Michael's rebuke of Satan. Not, I smite you, but the Lord smite thee. By strength shall no man prevail. 
the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king, and exalt the horn of his anointed. And Elkanah went to Ramah to his house, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. She weaned him, he's ready to go. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. Uh Uh-oh. So they're worshipping other gods. They knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that, when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came, while the flesh was in seething, with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. (laughs) Uh, So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. Man, they're eating God's beef. Now God's got beef with them. Also before they burned the fat. (laughs) Also before they burnt the fat. Sorry, I just pictured the priest like ripping the skin off the Kentucky Fried Chicken and shit. Before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Man, wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a linen ephod, an ephod being like an ancient Jewish vest or robe of holiness. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat, all, and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Wow, so she's really only seeing him when they go up to the temple. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give thee seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went unto their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah, wow, so that she conceived, and bare three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Nice, eat it, banana. Now Eli was very old, and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Man! They're also dipping into the groupies. And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Page turn. Come on. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. Wow, so they're fucked. And the child Samuel grew on, and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. And there came a man of God unto Eli. And said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father, when they were in Egypt, in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him, out of all the tribes of Israel, to be my priest, to offer upon mine altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me, 
And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice, and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed, that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, from them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days come, that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house, that there shall not be an old man in thine house. And thou shalt see an enemy in my habitation, in all the wealth which God shall give Israel. And there shall not be an old man in thine house forever. Now you have to understand, inheritance and the progression of sons who can give you more children, more descendants, that is the essence of the life of an Israelite man, as described in this book. So, this man of God that showed up, who's probably God or an angel, is definitely cutting off his balls by saying this. Also, falls very much in line with the Deuteronomistic codes and specifically curses from that book. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomistic. You get it. And the man of thine, whom I shall not cut off from mine altar, shall be to consume thine eyes, and to grieve thine heart and all the increase of thine house shall die in the flower of their age. This does sound like Deuteronomy. And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons, on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. And I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in mine mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left in thine house shall come and crouch to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread, and shall say, Put me, I pray thee, into one of the priest's offices, that I may eat a piece of bread. Well, enough said there. Chapter 3 And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision, and it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. Oh, the prophecy! Chapter 2, verse 33. And the man of thine whom I shall not cut off from mine altar shall be to consume thine eyes. How interesting. Chapter 3, verse 3. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. Hineni. These are the words in Hebrew when somebody takes on a divine charge or glorious mystical destiny. Moses said, Hineni. I believe Abraham said, Hineni. There's Hineni's all over the place. That the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou calledest me. And he said, I called not. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again. Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli <laughs> and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, 
Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. Gonna get tingly. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. So this was already communicated to Eli, and so far he's done nothing. Sort of like how he's let his sons run rampant, huh? For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli, that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice, nor offering forever. And Samuel lay until the morning, and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to shew Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel, and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. <laughs> now here he really is. And he said, What is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee, and more also if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. And Samuel told him every whit, and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. Yeah, that guy's looking at the end. And Samuel grew, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Chapter 4. Getting good. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle. Still fighting them Philistines, huh? And pitched beside Ebenezer. Ebenezer. And the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew of the army in the field about four thousand men. And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, that they might bring from thence the ark of the fucking covenant of the Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? Y'all are in big trouble, that's what. <laughs> and they understood that the Ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, 
God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. I like that. They don't think of Yahweh as one god, because they're polytheists. So they're like, ah, oh, their gods are better than our gods. Funnily enough, God might deliver them out of the hands of, <laughs> of their God because his servants suck right now. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines. Come on, we're the Philistines. That ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought and Israel was smitten. Man, they just had a, like barely a speech and that did it. And they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel thirty thousand footmen, and the ark of God was taken. No, they got the ark! And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were slain. And there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army, and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes rent and with earth upon his head. Which is something that the Israelites do when they're like, oh no, uh, they tear their clothes and they put earth on their head. And when he came, lo, Eli sat upon a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, what meaneth the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli. Now Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim, that he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army, and I fled today out of the army. And he said, What is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people, and thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass, when he made mention of the ark of God, that he fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck brake, and he died. For he was an old man and heavy, and he had judged Israel forty years. Eli fell backward in his seat and broke his neck. He died on the job, he died because of the job, in the chair of his iniquity, and he couldn't see. Ah, all the symbolism. And his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child, near to be delivered. Oh, no. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. The perfect end to a season of tragedy for the house of Eli. And such a great cliffhanger, for here... We will end our reading for today. I love this. We're finally back. This has been like all story, little overarching symbolism aside from the regular, the Israelites sin, and then they're punished for it. 
but they're punished in such cool ways. Like, I like how they bring the Ark out like it's their trump card. They're like, hell yeah, we're going to have the Ark. And then they fumble the ball in the middle of the war against the Philistines. And like, they're always having a war against the Philistines. It's like nothing really important about this battle. They just suck now. It's starting to show on the field. But this is the push and pull of these stories for someone like Samuel to rise. Somebody has to fall. God begins and God also ends. Now, I know David's supposed to come into the story at some point, but right now Samuel's killing it just being a kid. Eli was able to keep it together. Kind of. No, not really. I mean, he, he's really a placeholder judge. If you consider him a judge, apparently he's classified as a judge. But the Israelite camp after the death of Samson is just in ruins, ethically, morally. Eli's sons are eating all the chicken skin, and then they got got. I need to do some research about the authors, because this feels like Genesis is back, and in full force, because this is as much fun as Jay. It feels like we're in full Jay right now. The Yahwist or Jay writer being one of the major contributors to Genesis. It's like the show has been on hiatus, and I'm just waiting for like, like what the fuck is going to happen next? Like, oh, sweet. It's like some Bible stuff's happening, the lore is deepening, it's, there's some callbacks to the previous season. I'm having a great time. But lo, in this good mood, good for me, bad for Israel, I will say good luck and good night. Thank you for joining the Nonbeliever Bible Club. Next week we'll see how Samuel tries to put it right. The body politic of Israel may be in shambles, but their souls may be properly chastised and in just the right place to be saved by a king. Until then, do what seemeth good to ye. Ask God for help, and watch how you sit in that chair. Adios. <laughs>